0: This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is
1: in. Hi, this is Chad, and hello once again, product masters. Thank you for being here. Today we're talking about what you might think of as kind of the fundamentals of product management. Yet, yeah, I find many product managers have some misconceptions about these topics. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this and helping us with this is Grant Hunter. He is the co-founder, along with Steve Johnson, of a peer community and coaching group called Product Growth Leaders. They've been helping lots of great companies do a better job with product management, and we'll uh, explore that a little bit, their take on that. But I've been a participant in this community for a few months, and I've recently noticed that Grant has been posting some valuable articles on some topics that I think will be really good for us to discuss as well. And some background here, Grant is a product coach and strategy advisor who helps companies and product organizations get more market-focused in their products and strategies. He was previously a trainer at Pragmatic Marketing, and now him and Steve have put together this group, Product Growth Leaders. As a reminder, if you want to go find the written show notes of everything we talk about, we take detailed summary notes for you. We also create a one-page action guide for you to put into action what you're hearing. You'll find all that information at productmasterynow.com slash 347. Grant, thanks for being on the podcast with us. Chad, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. So I've known Steve for some time, I forget exactly how our paths crossed. But, you know, he was well known as the, I think, the founding instructor at pragmatic marketing and was there for like 15 years. And I assume that's where you guys met.
0: Actually, I replaced him. He was the the first instructor ever hired at Pragmatic Marketing. He was there for over 15 years. (laughs) Actually, 25 years this September is going to be the anniversary of when he started as a product management teacher and coach. So silver anniversary coming up for him. It's exciting. And we met after I left Pragmatic and he had left Pragmatic just networking. And about Hmm. four years ago or so, A group of us started working on what's now the Courts Open Framework. And he and I just enjoyed working together and saw some opportunities to really flip the classroom uh, and get more applied in in how product management training happens and, and to do it. And so that's... Part of it was with the community, which we love having you as part of it. But, you know, we do our topic of the week conversations. We do uh, other things. We're, we're, we're launching some peer groups for product ops to help really define what that's going to be. But <clears throat> first and foremost, it's about finding good conversations with other people in the product space. So I'm excited to be here and have one of those with you.
1: Yeah, it's a great community to be a part of. We'll tell people some resources later if they want to go check that out. But I think you guys discovered the same thing I did, which is I used to do these two, three-day workshops for companies to help them learn yeah. how to be good product managers, right? And that was always fun and exciting, or at least times exciting. And and people leave a workshop feeling you know, good about things. And yet, almost no one ever actually puts anything into effect. And I was getting frustrated with the lack of actual behavior change. And I wanted that for companies. I knew how this could help them if they actually put it into place. So I have also moved solely to that, you know, flip the classroom sort of environment where they do a little bit of prep work, and then we get together and we apply the concepts together to the work that they're doing. And it sounds like that was your motivation, too. No, no, I've been very impressed by seeing what you've been doing. Yeah, well, tell us also how this thing came about that UNC for doing. We helped create the courts Open
0: framework, and we started envisioning what the future could look like for product management training. What's 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 better? What's a better way of doing it? And we had these conversations, and you know, started working with some of the stuff he was doing in his fundamentals of managing products course uh, and his No Chaos work, and we said, wait a second, you know how. Do, there's learning in a community. We started doing research on the best practices of adult learning and andragogy. And, you know, really it went deep on it. How do you teach it? You know, Steve talks about leap, learn, extend with a tool or template, apply and peer review. And so we've built our stuff around there to help really focus on learning transfer. sounds like a lot of what you've been doing with your stuff. Uh, and, and have people get the value from what they're doing. Uh, that was much of the consulting work I was doing and Steve was working was helping people who invested in pragmatic marketing actually implement. So we're leveraging courts to help people do that. Uh, we actually have a course through the community. We've identified that business and strategy is a huge skill gap. Uh, and now we've got a course focused on the business and strategy or the product lifecycle management skills. So we're sort of trying to put together this portfolio, but really about leaning in on the applied.
1: Uh, side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because we know the concepts that we've been teaching for a long time actually help people a lot, Yeah. but it's getting them to put them into practice. So it's important to have ways to do that. Exactly. Appreciate you sharing that a little bit. These topics that you've been putting together that I have been enjoying reading about on uh, product growth, it sounds fundamental, but I really found them helpful to kind of get reframed and grounded on what is it we're doing as product managers, right? Gosh, yeah. And I think the first topic I came across was just called, "What is." I, I don't know what the title was, but it was about. What is a product? So I thought that might be a good place for us to start.
0: You know, when teaching pragmatic marketing, we had a little talk track that was really answering the question, what is a product? And when I was a product leader, product uh, manager, there was always this conversation with sales about what is a product. Oh, those are services. Those aren't products. So, oh, those are just found, you know platforms. That's not product. And the reality is, if you go back to the thought leaders and the, and the you know, the Druckers and those types of people, a product is a solution to a problem it doesn't matter if it's a service or not and so steve and i in the in our topic of the week said hey why don't we do a question for the topic of the week on what is a product if we're product managers don't we need to know what a product is and you know that conversation led to the, the you know that was a conversation way back but when i started thinking about foundationally, how do I explain to people what product management is? I was talking with a lot of smaller businesses who really didn't have an idea of what product management was, and I was challenged to explain it. So I said, well, maybe I just go back to the basics. What's a product, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then why product management? Why do you need to manage a product? And that's where we came up with this definition on that call that was a product is a solution for a person's problem. We are the market problems concept. We, we always taught at pragmatic marketing, including all components necessary to fully solve that problem. So the whole product concept as per Jeffrey Moore and the personas experience through the product, what we've started, what we came to is that people are looking at the experience they have in the buying process and the using process all as part of, they look, they attribute that to the product. Mm-hmm. So That was sort of breaking it down, you know, the persona and market, you need to be focused on what you're doing. You need to understand the problems that they're want to alleviate and what they see value in alleviating it. And it's the whole product. It's not, it's for that persona. What is the complete solution? That may be a component for one person. It may be a complete solution for another, but that's sort of where we went with this. And then finally, it's the experience. I think that's the, the newest addition to that. But I was talking with, you know, again, small business, a roofing company. And in the roofing company, the guy was like, why does this matter to me? I'm like, the person who answers your phone is gonna be judged as part of your product. The guy, if he's cursing when doing the roof, they're gonna judge that as part of your product. Everybody who touches that client, that client, when they are asked, what did you think about the product you got from the roofing company is gonna say, oh God, the guys didn't clean up well. That's part of the product. And so we have to realize that our our Support is part of the product or success as mm-hmm. it is now is part of the product. And people need to realize that the whole life cycle is part of it.
1: Yeah. To me, there's that aspect of value that runs through all that, right? And yeah. value can be perceived in many different ways. It's you know, fundamentally a customer, whether that is an internal customer in your company you're serving or an external customer you're selling to or some other partner, that customer has value. They have a, a the, the value they want to achieve. But they have some kind of problem they need to solve, a task they need to accomplish. They have an objective they're trying to reach. Yep. And in doing so, they want to receive value in the process. And value is all over the place, right? I appreciate, and I don't remember all 32 categories, but Bain and company made this pyramid, the value yep. pyramid, which is really helpful to think about the different kind of stages of value you know, the, the yep. immediate, get the problem solved. And then at some point, you know, you feel better about yourself, right? <laughs> and and that, that's value as well. Yeah. Using the product somehow you maybe if you, you feel special. So I appreciate you talking about that solution to the problem. Um, specifically who we're dealing with that has that problem and the experience that they're getting as part of that. Let's dive in a little bit more about product because you mentioned like, well, that's a service. That's not a product, right? And I view all that as a product as well. I've had interesting discussions in the past that try to differentiate new product in the sense of, well, that's innovation, that's something new we're doing versus product work, which is just the next version of what we do. What do you think about that distinction? Then I'll be glad to share my opinion too.
0: Actually, my view is that you know, if I you go back to a Drucker definition, and and you'll see Chad, I go back to Drucker time. If you go back to a Drucker definition of innovation, it's really about creating and transmuting value. And my view is, if you are not in your just continuing your life cycle curve, always adding incremental value to the market, you are plateaued, right? So there always should be new value you can bring. That value could help you increase your retention rate or increase your average sale rate or get you into new sub segments of the market. But if you're not adding value to the market, then you're not really innovating. But if you're, it can be continuous innovation where you're just within that life cycle, adding more value to get access to more people or expand the value within those customers or it's discontinuous innovation. So it's, that's the new, right? It's the, the new product solving that same problem or a new technology that enables you to do it differently. Yep, yeah, really good. And so I like I like to look at it as continuous versus discontinuous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most of the projects that I've led our new innovation, I should say new product, but they're they're (laughs) products in the sense that they did not exist before, right? That they're new to the organization, new to the customers, sometimes new to the world as well. And not so much products, I I just personally have been less involved in products that were already in the market that we were making better, right? Yeah. But when I saw people making a distinction between those two things, like, oh, you do innovation, you, you don't do product management. And then I dove into that further like, well, you know, if you apply the skills and the practices that we do making a new product to what you do making version three of the product, yep, they're, they're the same. Yes. Right. The, the stuff that will help you make a better version three, if you're on version two now, is the same thing that we do in making a new product. So, so I, I didn't see any value in making distinctions between this at all. It's all product work. And it's all about adding value for a customer.
0: And that's that's what comes down to it. And too often, if you, if you look at Melissa Perry's the build trap, the build trap is when people are adding features that don't add value to anybody, right? right. And that means they don't add value to your company. We we've got a little, I think it's a nine blocker. Uh, Steve and I have started using in our as we we're building this product life cycle management course, which on one axis is value to customer, and the other axis is value to company. And upper right hand corner is you know. That 's where you want to be, right adding a lot of value to the customer and a lot of value to the to the company and you don't want to be in the lower left hand corner, but too often if you're do- doing something that's not a value to the customer, odds are it's not a value to your company unless it's a it's an efficiency or productivity thing. We can serve these people better they don't see it, but we can do it for cheaper or less people right sometimes that may happen but uh, too often people don't ever use that lens when thinking about a product uh, new product and or you
1: know, new revisions or new releases. Right. Yeah, and software we call that gold plating. Yeah. Right? That, you know, just make things better f- because we kind of think they should be. And there's probably only two listeners that might even know this story, but MicroGraphics was this company in maybe mid-90s, late 90s. I'm dating myself. But I was such a fan of their drawing tools. They provided really good drawing tools for any kind of flow charts or Architecture buildings, anything, right? They covered the gamut really yep. well. And then I finally got a hold of a product manager that had worked there during the time to find out what happened to them. Because my experience as a customer with them was they just kept making the product unusable to me. Yeah. Right. And part of that was every new version, even if it was on a new current computer, just ran worse. And, yeah. and when I talked to the product manager after the fact, he said, well, the developers started developing the product for themselves. Right. And they were putting in tools that they thought were useful and cool and didn't really care about how they were running it for everyone else. Right. And it's gone out of the market. It was a great tool and it got replaced by other tools.
0: But that's that's you don't have to be a developer to do that. There's plenty of product managers or CEOs or salespeople who are inside the building and said, hey, wouldn't this be cool? Right. Right. Let me let let's do this. And, you know, I call them the field of dreams. Right. If you build it, they will come, and and too often it's just ghosts in a cornfield.
1: Right. Yeah, which goes back to the persona aspect. So yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. My thinking on personas has evolved. Uh, I think in a good way, but you know, once upon a time I thought about personas specifically as you know, here here is uh, shopper Sue, and we're going to provide a detailed description of who shopper Sue is. You know, and her age, and how many kids she has, and you know, information about her. And not that that's not useful, but I have shifted more to a perspective of, well, what is the uh, problem? I guess this is kind of in the jobs to be done framework. What is the job that Sue actually wants to get done? And then I might find out, well, there's a collection of people that look nothing like Sue, but they all have the same problem. But thinking about who it is, regardless, that we're trying to create value for. How do you go about thinking about personas for this aspect of who the product is for?
0: For the longest time, I was a market market segment first, then persona, hmm. and I really whether it's a jobs to be done. And I just read uh, Bob Mesta's book, uh, hmm. D- Demand Side Sales, which is really good.
1: Yeah, he talked about it recently on the inter- on the podcast.
0: Oh, I, we'll I have to check that one out. I didn't, I haven't seen that one. Whether it's jobs to be done, and I tend to, I tend to look at jobs to be done in market problems and Drucker's needs and wants as. You know, synonyms for each other. Maybe the jobs to be done brings the persona a little more into it, but my, my business school professor in marketing, you know, he talked about market segments as being customers with the same need and similar value profile. Right. And so all of a sudden, if you're at the same need, same problem and value profile, all of a sudden you're at a persona. And the reality is, you know, Many of us have the same problem, but we don't have the same value profile. And so for me, the persona really digs into that motivation. I do. Have you ever used Mentimeter? It's an online survey tool for teaching and stuff.
1: Yeah, I've participated in it before, right?
0: i I like to do a word cloud when I'm teaching people the concept of your product, you know, the the theater levitt, it's not a quarter inch hole, it's a quarter inch drill bit, right? What's the problem you're solving? And it's really the value you have. And I asked the question, what would you pay more for? When you're a consumer, what are you willing to pay more for? And people just start putting in and the word cloud goes up and it's local and artisan and relationship. And all of a sudden, all these things start getting a value profile saying, like, okay, you yourself, when you're starting to think about your product and how, what are the value profiles you should be looking at? Start thinking about those people who buy from you and what do they value? Mm-hmm. My, my wife is very, very clean. And if a contractor comes to the house and is not cleaning up well against himself if does not wear their booties, she doesn't want them. So there is a persona in, in the suburbs or wherever for right. a product that is clean up and rep- recognize that in a, in a clean uniform, puts booties on their shoes, all these things. And my wife and myself, for that matter, are willing to pay more for that. So our mm-hmm. persona is built around our value profile and what's important to it also goes to that whole experience. It's not just getting right. my you know three-way switches to work. It's doing it, in it with an experience that I am not out of comfort with because mm-hmm. they right, appreciate
1: that value. Yeah, excellent. That goes back to, back to the, the value that we want, right? That's that whole product solution aspect of, you know, you can come replace the light switch, but probably what is important to you as part of the whole product is not just replacing the light switch, but doing it in a manner that leaves the rest of my house looking just like it did when you came in. Exactly. And
0: so the personas, you need to understand the value profiles, their motivations, why they're making the decision. But that's where personas become so critical, because that's how you can create those. I always talk, we talk about the greatest common similarity. If I'm looking at an opportunity, I want to find everything that's about 80% the same. Mm. But when you start prioritizing, it's the least common difference. How do we get down to those granular differences and understand? And I can build a bowling alley approach like Moore would talk about. To hit the right. first pin and then know what might, you know, hit your small S curves up the curve, all through understanding the differentiation in those personas.
1: Yeah. And the Bowling Alley approach you're talking about for listeners, this is crossing the chasm. Yep. How do, do we introduce a product to the market? And at some point, we kind of run out of those early adopters and who do we go after next, right? Yes. And the problem that so many entrepreneurs make, as well as organizations, is, well, our product is for everyone. You know, we're making a product that will help you save and share photos. It's for everyone that takes pictures. But the reality is that no one's going to find your product then, right? If you make it specifically for first-time moms that are trying to share pictures of their new child, their new baby, then maybe you're getting closer to a niche, one of those bowling pins that you can knock over. Yeah. And then you figure out how to go to the next market segment.
0: Well, even in that situation, you may have a Shutterstock that becomes the leader. Hey, we're the best place to share for the broad 80% need. If you were, if, but as Moore talks about in Crossing the Chasm, if, if you were not the leader or the gorilla or the monkey or the chimpanzee, if you're a monkey, if you're a follower, by the time that leadership has been established, you need to redefine your market around a niche because you, it's better to be the leader in a niche than to be a
1: follower in the larger market. Right. Right. It makes it easier for people to find you that should be your ideal customer. Those that are actually in your market segments.
0: And easier for you to customize the value in your product for them.
1: Yep. Absolutely. yeah. And there's some good, good tools to help us with this. Um, one that I liked before is the uh, Cano model. And I never yep. know if it's Cano or Canu. I've heard both. But nonetheless, <laughs> this issue of gold plating yeah. and really targeting a specific persona, a, a market segment of helping you figure out, well, is it adding, if we're thinking about prioritizing our features, does this feature add value for the customer? Is it something that they would kind of ignore that they don't see new value in it? Yeah. Uh, or is it actually even distracting? Like we, we add this and it's going to take value away from them.
0: Yeah. No, I I Kenoa is a great model, but it that's why, you know, you really need to get in there and know and talk to the customers and the personas and understand what they value. Roger Martin, have you read Playing to Win? I don't think uh, so. By Roger Martin. No. A- AJ Lafley and Roger Martin. Lafley, I know. My favorite strategy. No, oh, there's... We have one of my favorite strategy books of the, that I've read recently. And he, Laughley was the CEO of Procter & Gamble. Roger yeah. Martin was his chief strategy advisor, former monitor group working for Michael Porter, former de- now, now former dean of the Rotman School of Management. Really, really top, you know, number one thought leader by Thinkers 50 in business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he always talks about the value equation and only in, and as Drucker said, cause he was a student of Drucker as well. You can only understand the the customer's value equation by going out there and listening to them. They're the only one right. who understands and knows it. And so whether, whether it's using Kano or some other model, you know, you've mentioned Steve Johnson, we use, he has a device called idea E, mm-hmm. which is about a way to, to score prioritization based on business value and effort. And so there's multiple ways out to do that, but if it's coming from my own hypotheses and assumptions that are not based in data in the market, in conversations with the personas, in the understanding of the segments, then that is then just a gut, right? <laughs> we It's not even a gut. It's just, you know, pure, you know, out of midair where you need to have the, the data, the conversations to be more specific
1: on that information to help you do that prioritization. So let me summarize this first aspect of our discussion. What is a product? And then you can put it in your own words because I'm sure I'm not capturing everything that we have shared. But I think we talked about a product is a solution to a problem for a specific market segment. uh, I express that as a persona that creates value, that adds value somehow. Yes. Fair? Okay.
0: Yeah. It solves their problem and,
1: and through solving the problem adds value. So I want to move to our next topic, but first I'm going to do a break for the sponsor for this podcast, which is the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. And this is indeed the experience that I take companies through to help them understand how they can do a better job creating products and creating value for their customers. And I think this next question we'll get to will kind of lead into this some too, you know, talking about what actually is product management. But often I think when product managers get asked what they do, they provide an answer that, that doesn't tell people a whole lot about <laughs> what that actually is, right? And when I get asked what I do, I say, well, you know, every company wants to create better products for their customers. That's fundamentally what they're trying to do is provide more value to their customers, and they like to create better products for them. And I help them do that. And specifically, we help them do that by going through a nine-week experience together, about 75 minutes a week, a little bit of preparation before that. And then we are meeting for seventy-five minutes virtually and applying the concepts to the work that they're actually doing. And we we learn seven new knowledge areas that really help them understand not just what they should be doing, but I think much more importantly and deeply is why they should be doing that work. Because then they they can explore any kind of process. And Grant, it sounded like when we were talking earlier about the work that you and Steve are doing, that I think you've ran into the same situation I ran into, is I've worked with some companies who have spent, you know, multiple six figures on some process that they brought in to, to help them, right? From a well-named company, a well-named brand that does that sort of thing. And then only to call me up and say, you know, we're having problems actually implementing this stuff. You know, can you help us with that? And I back up, right? I back up and say, well, let's get grounded on the fundamentals. So you'll know why you're doing that stuff in the process and not just following the process because there's some friction right now with following the process. So let's understand why we're doing certain things. And that seems to get everyone on the same page and they start collaborating better together. For anyone that wants to check that out, go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Grant, from the work that you've done, I'm just curious about your experience with that issue I just shared too, right? The, The company that is kind of given the process, the playbook, and then have challenges with it.
0: There's a whole model of thought leader who will sell the book to to you because they realize that if if those 10% of people who really want to get deep are going to need the help to do it and they're going to hire them to do that. The reality is, you know, part of doing a training course, part, part of teaching is putting knowledge down on paper, right? And the lecture is the way that we've been doing that. But the research will tell you that lecture not followed quickly by learning transfer and application is not going to help you change your business. And, you know, that's why what we have found is that it has, you know, moving to this applied, what we call applied professional development, applied training, which Mm -hmm. is learn, extend, apply, review with the peers, leap is, is critical because that's how you get them starting to do it. And instead of doing some case study, they actually can take these learnings and put it into their product, their market, their business right away.
1: Right. Yeah, and I like that leap. I have to come up with something, so I am not stealing yours, but that, that <laughs> conveys it well, right? Is that you are yeah. you are trying to extend the knowledge to your environment, apply it, and then the peer review is so very helpful. So, I I have to give credit to Steve. S- Steve is
0: the king of coming up with those acronyms.
1: It's a good. You guys are good partners. Then yeah. my my next question was going to be: Now that we have an idea of what product is, what is product management? Yep. And we can't go as deep on this one for the sake of time, but but let's introduce that. What, what is product management?
0: You know, and this has been something that I've been going through a lot of conversations on lately. And, I, and, you know, I had the follow-up to the what is a product was why product management. And when I used to teach in the MBA program at Rutgers, I used to always tell my students, if you know, break a if – what is market research? Flip it, right? It's research of the market. What is product management? Flip it. It's management of the product. And, and this is where the whole concept of the business role of product management comes in. Because if you're managing, if you're the general manager of your product – It's about how do you increase the value to the company, the value to the market. And so what product management is for me is it's the role that helps make sure that you're always doing the right thing, right? There's every company I talk to has more ideas than they have resources and they have budget. and. You know, wh- whether you're listening to Clayton Christensen and in Innovator's Solution, where he says, uh, he the, the stats will show that 76% of new product initiatives either never make it to market, or if they do, they don't turn a profit, they don't break even. That's three out of four. You've, I've heard those numbers from many other people. And I say that number to people, and they're like, yeah, that's about right. Well, if, if you've got more ideas than you know what to do with, and only one out of four of your initiatives is really adding value. It, to me, there's a disconnect there. And so, you know, I started a, a year or so ago with writing a couple of blogs called the Product Leadership Imperative, which was really about leadership is doing the right thing, management is doing things right, and how we need to step up and product management needs to really start focusing on doing the right things. When I revisited it for this, what is a product and why product management, it really got back to that. It's a, We asked the community, why product management? And the consensus was because somebody needs to help figure out what the right things are to do. And to your point earlier, so you're not boiling the ocean, so you're not trying to be all things to all people. Go understand the persona, the, their problems, their value equations, their motivations, right? And yep. understand your differentiation, right? And if you can align the, the persona, persona and markets with your products, with your differentiation, all of a sudden you've got a killer Thing. So why product management? You need to do that. You need to. And in the, in the, in the blog, we talk about why product management? Because somebody needs to be thinking about the value for the customer and market. Why product management? Because somebody needs to be thinking about the value for the customer, for the company. And the third one we added in there was because somebody needs to be thinking about the value for the team, the morale of the team. And because everybody wants to be on a winner, right? and sometimes we may need to make decisions for our team morale wise if we've had if you've ever been on an end of life product it sounds like you're more on the front end i've done a lot of end of life stuff it can be demoralizing right, right somebody is, needs tough. to be making decision to help with the team morale right? right to help and sometimes that decision is let's end of life it let's sunset it and let's start the next curve yeah exactly and so yeah. product management for me is it's the role whether it's a titled role or it's something that the CEO does in a startup or something that's done, you know, but somebody needs to make these decisions or by not making a decision, they've made a decision. (laughs) By not focusing on a segment, you've focused to be all things to all people. And so product management is the role that looks at that combination of value to the customer and market value to the company. And then we add the value to the team and tries to make sure we're doing the right thing. And then enables the organization yeah. to, to succeed in that. So it's not just the decision, it's the partnership and in collaboration with the downstream elements, the design and development to make sure we're designing and developing the right product, give them the context. And it's also the you know, sales and marketing and support to make sure they do it properly as well.
1: Yeah. Excellent, which leads to a bigger topic that we'll need to tackle which is in those decisions of doing the right things and you know creating value for the customer, value for the organization, value for the team in terms of motivation and other aspects. You said nothing about you know technical competencies, technical work there. Everything there kind of points to the the business strategy overall, right? the yes. aspects. And what I would like to do so this doesn't become too long of a discussion on this topic <laughs> is invite you and Steve back together to have that discussion about where does product management fit into the organization? What have people tried? What what, what is challenging with what they've tried and where should it really be?
0: Does that sound good? That sounds great. And it's, it's, it's something that we're passionate about because we, you know, often there's a lack of corporate strategy, which is tough to do product management then.
1: yeah, Excellent. So let's do that, but let's wrap up this discussion. Sure. As uh, listeners know, I love innovation quotes. And I asked for you to bring an innovation quote to us, and kind of just share what that means to you.
0: Sure, I, I, I would love to. I, I've already mentioned a couple of times I'm I'm a Drucker person. I it started with diving deep on not the quote I'm going to share, but the aim of marketing is to know and understand the customer quote that we used at Pragmatic Marketing. Then I went out and started reading his books, and you know about a third of his writing was was what I would call marketing in innovation, but which is you know for him marketing is. What we call product management is strategic marketing. It's, it's that type of stuff. And the quote that I shared with you was marketing and I'll, I'll shorten it a little. Marketing is the whole business scene from the point of view of its final result. That is from the point of view of the customer's point of view. And so I, we always, whenever Drucker says marketing, Steve and I always say product management. So it's product management is the whole business scene from the point of view of its final result, from the customer's point of view. And this quote has so many things because only the customer, like like we've talked about, only the customer can tell you what their unmet and undermet needs are or problems are. Only a customer can tell you what they value, right? Only a customer can define what your business is because they're the ones that help create your business by actually making a decision to take their economic value and trade it for your product. Huh? And so uh, to me, this was a, a great Drucker quote on the customer focus, market focus, and the importance of in using that as the, as the key true north to as you 're making decisions on what to do
1: uh, right. and what is doing the right thing yep from the customer 's point of view, you know anytime we 're faced with decisions about what to do in product management, if we can get back to the customer 's point of view we 're probably on pretty good foundation
0: exactly, and so I, I, there are so many and believe me i 've got way too many quotes still up on my computer from going through trying to find that right one. But I thought that was the one that that sort of was broad enough that it, you know could be the tip of the
1: spear for somebody. Excellent, thank you for sharing that with us. How can listeners find out more about the work you're doing and also the, uh, the work there at Product Growth Leaders? Sure. Well, the two
0: there's two great places to to do it. One, you, we've talked about the community a little. If you go to community.productgrowthleaders.com, that's our free community where there's a you know we now have i think over 300 members who we talk about product management stuff in the non-summer months every week we put a question in the in the community on a monday we do a poll on a wednesday and we do a phone call on a friday talking about the topic those are all available if people want to dive into those my writing tends to be and and we're still trying to figure this stuff out because we've got the community platform we've got the website if you go to just regular www.productgrowthleaders.com in the insights you'll see, you know, articles from Steve and I. That's where we publish a lot of our stuff. We haven't been cross fertilizing it as much as we should. <laughs> but those are the best two places.
1: Yeah, and the feedback from me, and I may have missed this, right? Because I'm—I don't claim to be a deep user of the community environment, but I found lots of value in the polls that you place up on community.productgrowthleaders.com. and I've responded yep. to some of those and provide some. And then I know I get emails telling me about these other articles, which is how I found out about the articles you've been writing and I couldn't find them in the community. So I, there's got to be some place in the community just to to link us out at least to say, hey, here's more information.
0: Yeah, and we're we're trying to figure out that because, you know, there're two separate domains, one's on the Mighty Network platform right. for the community. We're hopefully we'll figure the consolidated story out sometime. <laughs>
1: But it works. And we will have those links in the show notes so everyone can find those. That will make it easy. And once again, Product Masters, you can find the detailed written notes of everything we've talked about. If you want that written summary, that's also a great tool to share with others if you wanted to pass on some insights with your colleagues, along with the one-page action guide. That's all at productmasterynow.com slash 347. Once again, Grant, thanks for being with us. Chad, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening
0: to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.